We exist to help all people become fully devoted followers of Jesus. If you're part of our church, you probably know that there are five key areas that are fundamental to who we are. Let's talk about Jesus' presence. We're in a relationship with a person, not a set of ideas. We pursue intimacy with Jesus because we believe that true life transformation happens through an abiding relationship with Him. We believe the only hope for true, lasting gospel fruit is through the power of the Holy Spirit, and so we strive to posture our hearts to be led by Him. I love this verse from Exodus chapter 33, where, where the people of Israel are getting ready to leave camp, and, and Moses says in a prayer to God, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. That's our prayer. We wanna go where He leads. We wanna move where He moves. We wanna walk in step with the Spirit. So here's our dream. It's our prayer that each time we gather, people would experience the tangible presence of Jesus in our worship services and in our community groups. And that means that we're gonna intentionally carve out space for prayer and ministry time in both large and small gatherings. We also long to see people of all ages who attend CA Church growing in an abiding relationship with Jesus in their everyday ordinary lives. So towards that end, we're going to offer prayer classes and retreats. We're going to focus on spiritual practices and our preaching through the year. And, and we're going to equip our community group leaders to facilitate meaningful ministry times in homes. We'll also be writing and recording songs of worship, giving language to the things that God is doing in and through our church. We want to release a minimum of one album each year for the next five years. So Jesus' presence, it's what we live for, it's what we long for. Without his presence, it's all in vain. So as a church family, let's, let's lean in to this together. Let's prioritize the presence of God in our lives. Well, hey, church family. My name is Sam, and I get to serve as one of the leaders here at Coquitlam Alliance. And again, I just want to say welcome to everyone joining us online today. This week, we're continuing a new series that we launched into last weekend, walking through our vision as a church. And uh, over this last 10 months, our elders and our pastoral team have been praying through and really discerning what it is that the Lord might be inviting us into as we hopefully near the end of this pandemic and begin this next chapter of life and ministry as a family, as a church. And so last Sunday, Pastor Mark started off this series with a message on gospel multiplication. And if you missed it, I'd encourage you, go back and listen to it on YouTube or on our website. But he shared this important truth that, that we as a church don't exist for for ourselves. We're committed to being disciples who make disciples, to reaching people who are nothing like us, who are far from Jesus. And, and, and it's gospel multiplication that, that's what compelled us this weekend to plant a brand new campus in, of our church in Port Moody because there are thousands and thousands of people in Port Moody who are feeling hopeless and lonely, who are far from God and who are desperately in need of hearing and experiencing the good news of the gospel. That's also why we do our food pantry initiatives, why we give so much time and resource to advancing the work of Jesus overseas, gospel multiplication. That's why we're planting churches and campuses, community groups, raising up leaders because we want to make Jesus known in Coquitlam, in Port Coquitlam, and in Port Moody, and in the rest of the world. Today we're gonna to be looking at Jesus' presence, but as we start, I just wanna ask this simple question. What is the presence of God? 
We've said that pursuing Jesus' presence is part of our vision for the future, what we sense that God is inviting us into, to be a people marked by his presence. And we included this conviction in those beautiful little vision booklets that we, that we passed out last weekend at our physical services, articulating that apart from an abiding relationship with Jesus, we have little hope for any lasting gospel fruit in our lives. But what does it mean to experience the presence of God? What is it that we're actually pursuing? Is, is it a tingly feeling that I get on the back of my neck during the chorus of my favorite worship song? Is it that experience I had that one time at church camp when I was a teenager? Maybe it's about miracles and the supernatural. Or maybe it's what people talk about when they say that they were reading scripture and something stuck out to them. Or maybe the presence of God is everything and everywhere because God is omnipresent in all things at all times. But if the presence of God is everything, then isn't it also kind of nothing? What does it mean to be a people marked by the presence of God? Our teaching text today is from John chapter 15. And we're gonna explore this, this beautiful section of scripture where Jesus gives us this vivid imagery of what it means to live into the reality of his presence. But while you're turning there to John chapter 15, I wanna take a moment and I wanna go back to the very beginning and trace this idea of the presence of God all throughout the Old Testament scriptures, starting with creation. So keep your finger in John chapter 15. I promise we'll get back there in a moment. But first, Genesis 1 and 2. God places humanity in the middle of this beautiful garden. And, and he's as physically present with them as they are with one another, walking in the garden, talking with Adam and Eve through the hours of the evening. This was God's design to be with his creation. And God gives humanity one command. He says to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. In other words, you've experienced my presence. Now go and expand the footprint of the garden, carry my presence with you and touch every corner of the earth with my love and with my goodness. But not long after that, sin entered the world and this wedge was driven between heaven and earth. What was once this very tangible reality, walking and talking with God became a rumor passed down of what once was. And this in essence is the grand narrative, the drama that runs all through scripture. God is redeeming a people to himself. He's inviting them back into close proximity, into deep relationship, union with him. Philip Yancey, who's an American theologian, he described the, the whole story of scripture with this simple phrase, God gets his family back. I love that. He longs for a deep, intimate relationship with his children, but they continue to run astray. And, and all throughout the Old Testament, you see God actively calling his creation back. Through scripture, we see God is still actively involved with his people. He's leading them and rescuing them, but he speaks to them through priests and prophets as mediators. Their sin has kind of built walls of separation between them and God, making it impossible for a holy God to dwell with them. And, and there's all these sort of ceremonial cleansings that need to happen, even in order for a priest to enter the presence of God. But all along, the people had this hope of a future reality, of a Messiah that would come and that would make everything that was wrong with the world right. And this takes us to the coming of Jesus. In John chapter one, we read that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God himself, he put on flesh, he moved into the neighborhood. The invisible God became visible again. His presence, once again, like it was in Eden, known fully to those who walked with him. And as Jesus walked on the earth, he invited people to come and to be with him and to learn from him and to be in his presence, to become his disciple. 
The rumor of a God who walked and talked with his people, present with them, became this reality again. And Jesus spent three years with his disciples, teaching, healing the sick, eating, going to dinner parties, in deep relationship with his people. And then skip ahead to John 14. As his time on earth begins to draw near its end, Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit who will come and who, and he points out in John chapter 14, as well as in John chapter 16, that it's actually better that he would go, that the Holy Spirit would come because through the Holy Spirit, Jesus' presence will be with them for all time, 24 seven. And not only for the 12, but with every one of his disciples, of his followers through all of history. He says in verse 15 of chapter 14, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, which could also be translated the Holy Spirit, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. Now skip ahead to verse 21. It says, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. In other words, will make my presence known to him. And then in verse 22, Judas said to him, and this is not Judas Iscariot, it's a different Judas. He says, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and he will come to him and we will make our home with him. Okay, Jesus is saying, okay, in a short time, I'm gonna be going away from you in a physical sense but I will never leave you. And to those who love me, to those who are truly my followers, I won't only be with them as you've experienced over these last few years, but I will be in them through the Holy Spirit. I love this language, I will make my home with them, with my disciples. So according to Jesus, the way that we, his church, are with him today, the way that we experience Jesus' presence is through the Holy Spirit. And so I don't think it would be an overstatement to say that the first and maybe the primary goal of our discipleship to Jesus is learning to live in a constant state of awareness and connection to the Holy Spirit. Everything else flows out of that. And then in John chapter 15, and I, I told you we would get back to it, Jesus gives us this word picture for what it looks like to live into the reality of his presence. Let's read that together. John chapter 15, we're going to start in verse 1. Here's what it says. Jesus says, I am the vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that, your joy may, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. And there's so much there that we could, we could do a whole sermon series on this passage. But I love how Jesus uses this analogy of the vineyard, of a vine and branches to describe the relationship between him and his people. And he says that just like a branch needs to be attached 
to the vine in order to flourish and to bear fruit. So we need to be attached to Jesus, the vine, in order to experience life to the fullest, in order to bear fruit, to actually do anything of substance or value, to experience the joy and the peace that comes from him. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Now, I'm not a gardener, or I'm not a good gardener anyways, but I do live in a condo in Port Moody that has lots of windows. And so plants grow like crazy in our home. And we have this fig tree that we bought. It was this little kind of two foot, two and a half foot plant, and it grew and it grew and it's still growing until seriously, it's actually reached the roof in our place. And as I said, I'm not a gardener, but having access to YouTube makes me feel like I can literally do anything. And so Jorley and I watched this video about propagating. And after watching a couple of videos about how to propagate a plant, do you know what that is? Propagating, essentially you take a clipping of a plant, you snip a clipping, a branch off a plant, and you put it in water and, and you plant it in, in water or you put it, plant it in soil, and it's supposed to grow its own roots and become its own plant. Now, this isn't a perfect parallel to what Jesus is saying, but being a YouTube certified propagator, I decided to, to give this a go. So I cut off a few sections of our massive fig plant and I put them in water and I tried to, to make roots grow by themselves and, and to, for them to be sustained apart from this overgrown fig plant. And actually for the first couple of weeks, my clippings did quite well. They didn't grow, but the leaves stayed green and luscious and they sat in my pot of water and I watched and I waited, hoping that some roots would start to grow like I saw happen on YouTube. But after a few weeks, the propagated plant that I was so proud of began to wither. These leaves that were growing like wildfire when they were attached to the fig plant slowly but surely began to die off. And although there was this illusion of health for a while while they were in the water, the life couldn't be sustained apart from the fig plant. Now, this is where my analogy breaks down a bit because in theory, propagating does work. I'm just a horrible gardener and, and I'm probably gonna get emails from people explaining the proper way to propagate a plant and I'd appreciate that. I actually have propagated one of about six plants successfully. But the bottom line is in order for the branches to grow new leaves, it needed the nutrients from the fig plant the source of life for that branch. The reason that it was growing like wildfire, huge, green, luscious leaves, it was deriving all of its nutrients from the plant that it was attached to. And, and just like the branch on my fig plant has no chance of bearing fruit or leaves unless it's connected to the vine, to the fig plant, so it is with our Christian walk. The key to intimacy with God, to Jesus' presence, to, to bearing fruit, the key to a flourishing life, according to Jesus, is to remain in, in constant connection to the vine, or what Jesus describes as, as abide, abide in me. What some of your Bibles might translate as remain in me. It comes up over and over again throughout this text. It's, it's said 10 times in these few short verses. Look at even verse four and five alone. Verse four says, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse five, whoever abides in me and I in him, he is the one that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Thanks for the vote of confidence, Jesus. One Bible commentator translate the phrase abide in me as come and make your home with me. I love that, what an invitation from Jesus. The God of the universe is inviting us to take up residence with him. I was thinking this week that, that making your home with Jesus would have felt so much more simplistic when Jesus was walking on the earth, wouldn't it? If he was physically in the room, you just make the habit of staying near him at all times, following him wherever he goes, set up camp when he sets up camp, travel to whatever city he's going to. But what does that look like now? 
It can feel kind of abstract. How do we make our home with him now in this day and age where we find ourselves? Well, as we do when we're seeking out answers to life's biggest questions, let's start by looking to the life of a 15th century Persian monk. Some of you may have heard of him before. He's not a celebrity, but he has had a tremendous impact on the Christian understanding of abiding in Jesus. He was a soldier. He encountered Jesus. He got saved. And then he committed his whole life to this one thing, what he called practicing the presence of God or abiding. He was a dishwasher in a monastery. His day job wasn't anything fancy, but he wrote a number of letters and there are these conversations that were had with him that were documented and recorded in this little book called The Practice of the Presence of God. It's actually more of a pamphlet even, it's short, and there's a PDF online that you could probably read in one sitting if you wanted to, and I encourage you to do that if you can. But there's this fantastic quote in one of his letters where he says this, he says, the time of business does not for me differ from the time of prayer. And in the noise and clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God in as great a tranquility as if I were on my knees before the blessed sacrament. In other words, Brother Lawrence is saying that there's very little difference between a designated prayer time on his knees in the chapel and his day-to-day -day tasks scrubbing pots and pans in the kitchen with angry monks calling out for more soup. I don't know why in my mind I go directly to Nacho Libre when I hear that quote. But, uh, but, but Brother Lawrence did, did everything he did with God and for God. And he acknowledged Jesus' presence in the mundane tasks as he encountered these things day after day after day. In a sense, practicing the presence of God is, is learning to be in two places at once. Eating your yogurt and granola in the morning and in the Father's presence. Changing diaper after diaper of your newborn child and in the Father's presence at the office or in your home office, checking emails or on Zoom calls, upper body dressed up, lower body dressed down, and in the Father's presence, learning to listen to his voice and to respond. And I love this word practice that he uses because it signifies that, that this is something that takes time and effort and attention, not to bring God's presence to us, his presence is already all around us, but to live into the awareness of his presence to experience the manifest presence that Jesus talked about in John 14, to actually know him, to actually commune with him and experience intimacy and friendship with him. David the Psalmist had, had different language for practicing the presence of God. He wrote, I have set the Lord continually before me because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my, my glory rejoices, my flesh also will dwell securely. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul the Apostle calls it praying without ceasing. Or right here in John chapter 15, Jesus says abiding in the vine or abiding in him. It's learning to live in a constant state of awareness and connection to the Holy Spirit. And as you do, you begin to experience the peace of God. And as Jesus says in this passage, the joy as we begin to become more and more alive in his presence. Okay, the way we experience the presence of Jesus is by abiding in him. And maybe it's just me, but why does that seem so hard to actually do? Well, there's lots of different things that can get in the way of our communion with God, but just to name a few that I think make it particularly difficult. And maybe this first one is obvious, but distraction. Our minds are so full with so many different things. And, and a big one right now is actually digital distraction with smartphones and laptops and tablets, giving us endless opportunities for entertainment consumption. And, it, and it's literally all at our fingertips. And whether it's email or Twitter or news clips or Netflix, our minds are always going. 
A survey done in, in 2019 said that the average Canadian looks, looks at a screen for 11 hours per day. Now, that's a combination of work and play, and I get that, but still, that's a lot of time that we're giving over to technology to form us. Another study done in the US just last year said that the average American, and, and I imagine that Canadians are very similar, but the average American touches their phone 2,600 times per day. That's roughly once every 20 seconds, and whether that's checking a notification or scrolling or refreshing a feed or replying to a message. And that constant state of distraction serves as a kind of white noise that maybe numbs us from the stuff we don't wanna think about, but it also robs us of the opportunity to live into the presence of Jesus. Because there's constantly something in our ears or on the screen or, or that we're looking at. I wonder how many times we miss Jesus or something that he might want to say to us or do through us, invite us into because we're so distracted. Alan Noble, an author and professor at Oklahoma Baptist University, he said, living a distracted lifestyle does more than waste our time. It forms our minds, often in ways that are harmful for any sort of deep, sustained thought that's critical for the Christian life. So what stops us from living into an abiding relationship with Jesus? Well, I think a big one is distraction. And, and then hand in hand with that is busyness and overload. Many of us have calendars that are so full with work commitments and activities and family responsibilities and sports, even church stuff, that we're, we're just trying to make it through the day or the week, let alone carve out space for an abiding relationship with Jesus. Now, some of you are saying that used to be true of me until March of 2020 when suddenly there was nowhere to go and everything was canceled and all I had was time. And, and that's true. There was this kind of forced sabbatical for the whole world in a lot of ways. And some are still living into that reality. But for many of us, our natural instinct to do more and more and more is already beginning to kick back in. And if we're not already running as fast or faster than we were pre-pandemic, we'll be there soon. Another thing that robs us of living into an abiding relationship with Jesus in the Western church, I think, is that we've often reduced the Christian life down to the lowest possible entrance requirements to get into heaven. What does that mean? Well, if, if we think of our relationship with Jesus as simply a ticket into heaven, we prayed a prayer and now we're in, then why bother growing a relationship with Jesus? I prayed a prayer one time at the altar, so I'm good, I'm safe, I'm in. The problem with that understanding of the Christian life is, is well, first, it's never anywhere in the Bible. There, there's nowhere in scripture that says you pray a magical prayer and then regardless of what your life looks like afterwards, you're automatically a disciple of Jesus. To follow Jesus is this daily decision to submit ourselves to the Lordship of King Jesus, to live into this reality of the kingdom of God, to foster an abiding relationship with him. What we do see over and over again throughout scripture is that what validates our lives as Christians is fruit. That if we're truly disciples of Jesus, that over time will begin to produce fruit. Paul talks about it in various sections of his different letters. And Jesus says it even in verse 5 of our text. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. What fruit is this passage talking about? The fruit of the Spirit. It's, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, generosity, faithfulness, self-control. And, and how do we get this fruit? Is it by trying really hard to produce the fruit of the Spirit, by trying really hard to become more gentle or more self-controlled? Let me ask you this, how does a branch on an apple tree produce apples? Is it by trying really hard to make apples? No, by being connected to the apple tree. And Jesus says the same is true for us. If we want to see true, lasting fruit in our lives, 
And I say true lasting fruit because we can get away with manufacturing fruit for a while. Think of it like this, like a Christmas tree with Christmas ornaments on it. You can hang fake fruit on branches of a tree with fishing line or with tape. And from a distance, you can probably get away with it. Like it would be passable as real fruit that's coming from the tree. But close up, you can see that the fruit's not really genuine, that it's hanging by a thread, that it's just an ornament that's taped onto the branches. See, we can project a version of ourselves to others that, that looks like fruitfulness, we can curate our lives on social media and when we're in front of people, when we're at church, but the only way to bear real gospel fruit of eternal value is to abide in the vine. Fruitfulness is the natural byproduct of being connected to Jesus. Okay, let's get practical. How do we do it? How do we cultivate an abiding relationship with Jesus? Well, I'll be the first to say that it can be difficult. And at times in my journey with Jesus, I feel like I'm doing all the right things. I'm making space. I'm getting up early in the hours of the morning. I'm praying fervently, reading scripture. And sometimes it can still feel like God is silent. And then there's other times where I, where I sit down with a cup of coffee in my Bible and it feels like God is speaking so loudly and clearly to me that I can barely keep up. There, there, there's moments where Jesus just seems so tangible. All that to say, there's no formula. There's no A plus B equals C. I wish there was. And, and like other relationships, there's all sorts of seasons in our walk with Jesus. But maybe the best place to start in cultivating that kind of intimacy with God is to look at the life of Jesus as he walked on the earth. See, Jesus is a perfect picture of God, but he's also a perfect picture of true humanity. He's our savior, but he's also our teacher. He's also our model for how to live a life that flourishes. Dallas Willard was known to say that, that if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. And there were some practices and habits that Jesus regularly engaged in as he walked on the earth that are worth taking special note of as it relates to experiencing communion with God. After Thanksgiving, we're actually going to launch into a class and unpack some of these really life-giving practices. It's going to happen on Sunday mornings during our 9.30 service, but I'll just touch on a few really helpful practices right now. And, and the first is silence and solitude. Jesus regularly took breaks away from the crowds to be alone with the Father. He would, he would have moments of high output where he would be serving and healing and teaching, and then he would retreat to be alone, to pray to be silent. But the reality is silence can be hard, especially when we're so used to living in this constant state of noise and distraction. I read an interesting article about Beethoven over this last week, Beethoven the composer. And, and see, before reading this article, I had heard and I knew that, that Beethoven had gone deaf at some point in his life. But I assumed that he went deaf late in his life, after he'd written his best work, after he'd done his, his greatest symphonies. It turns out that wasn't the case. Allegedly, Beethoven started going deaf in his kind of early 30s or late 20s, and he wrote a lot of his famous work after his hearing was almost entirely gone. Arthur Brooks from the Washington Post wrote this. He said, it seems a mystery that Beethoven became more original and brilliant as a composer in inverse proportion to his ability to hear his own and others' music. But maybe it isn't so surprising. As his hearing deteriorated, he was less influenced by the prevailing compositional fashions and more by the musical structures forming inside his own head. Deafness freed Beethoven as a composer because he no longer had society's soundtrack in his ears. I love that last line. Deafness, or silence, freed Beethoven because he no longer had society's soundtrack in his ears. 
Oftentimes we have society soundtrack ringing so loudly in our ears, especially right now with all the chaos going on in our world. And we could be so glued to news feeds that we, that we miss the still small voice of God calling us to himself. For some of us, it might be a really good idea for us to do a fast from Facebook. Many of us are being discipled by Facebook algorithms, but I want to encourage you to pause. Carving out intentional space for silence, where we silence the soundtrack of the world and just sit alone with God can have huge effects on our lives. Now, engaging in silence and solitude can be overwhelming, especially if we go from zero to 10 and try to spend hours in silence right off the start. If you wanna grow in this practice though, if you wanna embrace silence, I would, I would encourage you to start small, even two to three minutes. Set an alarm on your phone if you want to, so you don't have to keep, you know, tempted to keep checking your phone to see how long it's been and just sit in quietness, alone with God. Sometimes you might speak with a thought or a verse that comes to mind, and sometimes you might just sit in silence. But for centuries, Christians have been using this practice to connect with God in really meaningful ways. Another practice that's helpful in cultivating an abiding relationship with God is slowing, slowing down for loving union with him. Now, I'm really preaching to myself on this one, but as we look at the life of Jesus, we see that he was never in a rush. He accomplished more in his life than, almost, than any other human being on the planet, and yet he was never in a hurry going from point A to point B. He was this non-anxious presence, and he simply went where the Spirit led him to go, and he did what the Spirit prompted him to do. I'm so guilty of living my life at an almost unsustainable pace. And sometimes I can become so busy doing things for God that I miss God in the process. Slowing down helps us to become aware of what God is doing in us and through us, intentionally watching our pace. In the words of J.I. Packer, to keep in step with the Spirit. We don't wanna to go too fast, we don't wanna to go too slow. We wanna hear his voice and respond. Another is memorizing scripture. And this sounds so basic, and it's not something we often talk about, except maybe in, in kids' church or Sunday school. But as difficult as it can be, the practice of memorizing scripture can have a disproportionate effect on our Christian life. Verse 7 of chapter 15 says, If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. I think it was Dallas Willard who said that, that time memorizing scripture is perhaps more important than quiet time. Because when we fill our hearts with his word, we can fill our hours with his word and quiet time can then become all our time. Meditating on God's word, saying it over and over again in our heads or quietly murmuring it when we're out on a walk with the dog in the rain or as you lie on your pillow ready to go to bed, it begins to shape our hearts and our desires as we fill our minds with what is good and right and true. It's the renewing of our minds. I find meditation on scripture so helpful when my mind starts to go down paths that I don't want it to go down. I use this habit of scripture meditation, saying these verses that I've memorized and that I meditate on to bring my mind back to a place fixated on Jesus. Okay, the last key that I'll touch on today is, is community. Something that struck me that I hadn't seen before in John chapter 15 is, is the plural nature of Jesus teaching here. Jesus doesn't say, I am the vine and you are the branch. He looks at his disciples and he says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. We're branches together. We abide in the vine together. I honestly believe we can't successfully live the Christian life in isolation. 
Sure, there can be seasons of it, and as we noted just a few moments ago, it can be really beneficial to have times of retreat and silence and solitude alone with God, but we need to be in deep relationships with other humans, with other followers of Jesus. That's how God designed it. The body of Christ is the church, and we can't be the church alone. I'm so, I'm so thankful for these online services and that through this pandemic, we're able to do these services, even still right now, for people who aren't ready to gather physically right now due to compromised immune systems or whatever the case might be. But this is not the full expression of the church. It's so important for us to gather together that we would know each other and be known by one another, that we would remind each other of ident our identities in Christ. If you're not yet ready to come to a physical space, that's okay, I get it. But, but, but we have community groups that meet on Zoom throughout the week. You need to be encouraged in your abiding relationship with Jesus. We can't finish this race alone. We need each other. And when we're together in church and I'm going through something, if I'm going through something really difficult and I can't even bring myself to sing the lyrics of a hymn, but the rest of the church is singing those great lyrics, they're singing them over me and we're bearing each other's burdens. When one of us is wandering or deconstructing, the other links arms and walks a lap of the race alongside. Well, there's so much more that we could, could be said of this topic of Jesus' presence, but I want to encourage you, pursue him. And maybe this week, try to embrace one of those practices that we just talked about today. And there's gonna be ebbs and flows of your relationship with Jesus. Don't be discouraged. There's gonna be times of great joy and there's gonna be times that are really difficult. But stay close to him. And as you do, you will experience joy, unspeakable joy, no matter the circumstances. And you'll bear much fruit. You'll find much fulfillment in his presence. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this beautiful text, John 15, and this, this imagery you give us of abiding in the vine. Help us to do that. Help us to be people that are marked by your presence. Help us to listen to your spirit amidst all the noise of the day and age we find ourselves today. Help us to be close to you. Help us to listen and respond to your spirit. I pray for my friends who hear this message and find it very difficult because you feel absent, you feel far from them. I pray that you would meet them in the, in the midst of those feelings, that you would meet them in the midst of discouragement and that you would draw them to, to, you, to yourself. To others in this moment who are, who are feeling like, like they are growing in their relationship with you, I pray they wouldn't grow stagnant but that they would continue to abide sustain them for what's ahead. Help us to be the church to one another, to, to bear each other's burdens, to be branches together. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.